Hello fellow adventurers and welcome to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I am an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. For today, I want to tackle a topic that is extremely important for each and every card and board game designer. And that's graphic design and artwork. Every game, no matter how small, needs graphics and artwork and whatsoever in some form or another. Be it for the cards, um, the game board or maybe just for the packaging of the game. And since I have absolutely no idea about it and would probably just talk nonsense for an entire show, I look for professional help here for today's podcast episode. Um, our guest today is not only the game designer, but also the art director of the games Fry Thief, Samhain and Mintsugi. And he's also a fellow podcaster and host of the show Indie Board Game Designers Podcast. He has recorded and published way more episodes than I have, so there is a lot we all can learn from him. His name is Patrick Rowland. Um, welcome to the show, Patrick. It's an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me on. I really appreciate it, and I'm really excited to chat. Yeah, so am I. Before we go into the entire process of art direction, um, can you please introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit um, about how you ended up in the industry at all? Yeah, so I started, uh, you know, actually before I started the podcast, I started listening to all the game design podcasts for probably six months, and I consumed an insane amount of information, and then I realized a lot of the podcasts, they sort of focus on like people who have the super duper successes. They have the $2 million campaigns on Kickstarter. And I wanted to chat to people who like just funded with like their first campaign. So I, I love indie creators. I started chatting to indie board game designers. That's how I started the podcast. When I got started, I knew nothing. I didn't have any published games. I didn't The most I'd done before that is sort of, you know, change a couple rules in board games here and there, right? Like with your with your group of friends, we played in college, we played uh, Bang the Card Game a lot, and we played that game so many times, we just started inventing new rules where you can double up characters and do this and do that. And I think it was also Risk 2210, they give you blank cards in the box. And so we just added our own, you know, with those blank cards, which I think are supposed to be replacements, we just added our own cards. But that was that was it. I just sort of customized a couple games. And then in the last two years, I chatted to game designers and made uh, three games that I'm that I'm really happy with. That sounds awesome. So you started your podcast two years ago, right? Yeah, about two years ago. So you have more than 100 episodes so far. Mm -hmm. I guess it's one episode per week. Yeah, about. <laughs> so I have some more episodes to go before uh, I'm at uh, the stage where you are at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, and I am a designer myself, um, so, so, so as you are, and I'm currently at an early stage of my design of one of the games. Um, mm. but I would, um, already like to post regular updates about my game in form of, um, mm -hmm. a work in progress thread, for example, on Board Game Geek or as some kind of designer diary on my website. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, I want people to yeah, remember my game. So I think it would uh -huh. already be a good idea to have some kind of yeah, logo or some form of artwork mm -hmm. to, tease, to tease it to people. 
but I'm not sure if I will end up with an entirely different theme, for example, or maybe I will change the races <laughs> in my game, um, or I will change the name or whatsoever. So, mm-hmm. um, my first question when it comes to, to artwork and um, design is, when do you think it is a good um, starting point to, um, to involve some kind of um, artist or illustrator? Because I have absolutely no idea about that at all. Yeah, so let me let me start. Let me give you a timeline of my of of the my game that I launched on Kickstarter, which was Fry Thief. I launched in February of 2019, and I started. I think I hired an illustrator of September, so that was about six months before. That was when I hired an illustrator. I started thinking about illustration probably three to six months before that, probably three months, and I started thinking about the graphic design probably about a year before I actually launched the game on Kickstarter. I I do think it's really really helpful to have at least a logo and like understand at least your the title of your game like have the title start make start playing with a logo it doesn't have to be final but just start playing with it uh, and then and then the next thing you have to do before you do anything else is you have to make a creative brief that's i have an advertising agency background and the creative brief just says <clears throat> excuse me the creative brief just says i want it to look like this not this i want to use fonts that look like this not this it should feel like this not this And just writing all that down will give you so will help you through every single step through the rest of the process. It'll help you create the logo. It'll help you decide how big the artwork should be. It'll help you decide if it's you know you, I know you like fantasy card games. It'll help you decide do they do you want to have really cute fantasy races like um, My Little Scythe? Do you want to have Magic the Gathering kind of epic fantasy races? Do you want to have silly fantasy races like in lots of kids games where you're combining different Frankenstein body parts? There's, you know, just saying fantasy card game is not enough. You really need to nail down how you want your game to feel. So before you hire an illustrator, before you do any of that, I think you have to figure out exactly what you want your Uh, y- your game to feel like, and then write this creative brief of, I want it to look like this, not this, feel like this, not this, use fonts like this, not this. St- stuff like that is really, really helpful. And and I, you don't need to have a super design background. You can just, you can literally say, I love this board game. I want it to look like this one. And that's that's a great place to get started. And then if you ever do hand it off to a graphic designer or an illustrator, that will massively help them when you show them examples of illustrations because you don't know the technical terms that that they know um but but if you show them examples they'll be able to figure it out yeah that makes absolute sense and um in my day job as an economic uh, computer scientist i'm often Mm. in the middle between the business (laughs) department and the it Mm -hmm. department and typically Mm -hmm. both of them have absolutely no clue what the others are talking about (laughs) no clue at all Uh, And at the end, this often leads to projects that are not in scope, Mm -hmm. they are not in time, and they are definitely not in budget. Um, And just because the participants didn't understand each other from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same is often true between artists and game designers. Mm -hmm. I have heard so many bad stories uh, where designers paid a lot of money to the um, the artist, and they were not happy with the result at all at the end. And... um, so I really like um, your um, your briefing that you just described. Mm-hmm. And um, what what do you think? What really needs to be in that briefing to make sure that the that the artists really understand what you want to want to create as a designer? Well, I think the mo- the thing you should have in there the most is you need to have examples. Uh, you don't even you don't. 
because because here's the thing so in you'd want to avoid jargon and both you as the game designer have jargon and graphic designers and or illustrators also have jargon so what i consider minimalist isn't what you consider minimalist or what i consider colorful and playful isn't what you consider color colorful and playful so you need to have examples it is uh, i i'm very happy to share my creative brief uh, for fry thief with you if you want and you can share it with your audience but I literally have examples of like I like the style of this box cover or I like the style of this logo on this box cover, not even not even the box cover itself, just the logo. And I like this and, and, and this and it it's so everything becomes so much easier if you can find five examples of similar looking games. And even I really like this logo, but not this background. Stuff like that is is is, is really helpful because it avoids that whole jargon issue um it it just prevents a lot of stress i so i have a background in computer science as well and actually building a lot of websites and it's the same thing we did the exact same thing it would we would say please send us five example websites that you think that you want your website to look like it avoided all the jargon and it just sort of gets people on the same page um it's it's just sort of the the best starting point after after you get past examples then you can then you can talk about i i always start with I want my game to feel like this. And let me, I'll try to pull up my, uh, my art brief for Fry Thief while we're chatting. Uh, but I will say, I want it to feel playful or I want it to feel colorful or I want it to feel this. Um, and then I will say, uh, then I talked about colors. So I said, I want it to, you know, I said, Hey, it's about fries. Um, I probably want it to be red and yellow. Uh, and then I said for box design, I want to look at these couple boxes. Uh, and then I looked down and then I started talking about cards. Um, when we start looking at cards, I want the cards to have this much artwork and this much space for text and they need to have these pieces of information. And then one specific thing for Fry Thief is I have dual purpose cards. So uh, one player, it's an asymmetrical game. So one player t plays the yellow side of the cards. One player plays the green side of the cards. And I really wasn't sure how to use that. So I just gave the graphic designer a couple of examples uh, of other games that had dual-sided cards. So I think I found two examples, and then I made—I even made a little mock-up and said, I think it should look like this. Um, and so that was that was really helpful just to give them, here's a problem, I don't know how to solve it, here's two examples, here's how I think we should solve it, but feel free to, to, to improvise from here. Um, so you can even give them problems that you don't even know how to solve as long as you give them your thought process. Yeah, that's awesome. I am. Um, I have some kind of website background myself. I started my first website <laughs> uh, agency company when I was 16. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, it failed. Um, and the websites I created, uh, they were not really pretty. I can tell you that, um, <laughs> because I'm personally not very experienced with graphic design, painting, artwork, or illustration, or any of that stuff. So my domain more is like um, spreadsheets and the source mm -hmm. code and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Though, so you can probably roughly imagine yeah, how much my daughter likes uh, to paint with me um, <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> so uh, that really means um, we need you Patrick today to help us here um, <laughs> but what I'm good at is um, structuring things and um, mm -hmm. <laughs> when it comes to to websites um, I also what we did all, all the time was um, that we structured it in um, many iterations so we did not give the um, so in that case, we didn't ask the customer for um, uh, for design briefing and then delivered the final product. There were a lot of iterative steps in between. Um, we created some kind of mock-up. Um, so this this is where all the elements on the website could be. Um, this mm -hmm. is um, our first draft. Um, this is very rough. We did not. Um, mm -hmm. We could change some fonts here and colors here and whatsoever. So. Um, 
When you work with um, with artists and illustrators, do you have these iterative steps as well? So with graphic design, I'm constantly iterating. That is something that even from prototype to prototype, I will change this, swap this out. I'll try to find a better icon here. I'll, I'll, and then things like, oh, people don't really need to title of the card. It's kind of irrelevant. For, for one of my games, uh, Mintsugi, the title is kind of irrelevant. You just need the picture of the thing and the points that it scores. And if, you know, and in between a prototype, I chucked out the title and saw if people didn't need it or not. I, I do a lot of experimentation with graphic design because I'm always switching things out. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's let's uh, I will often switch out logos or uh, like little icons. So I'll go from a, a line drawing of an icon to a filled in drawing of the icon and, and, and stuff like that. I will often constantly keep changing the graphic design. Illustration is very different. That's that's when your illustration is like you're drawing custom things just for your usually just for your card or just for your rule book or whatever. That is we did do it in stages. So with my illustrator for Fry Thief, his name is Matt Franklin. He's great. Um, and we can, if you want to talk about later about how I found him. Um, but with Matt Franklin, uh, he sent me sketches of all the cards and we know what was great is I said, Oh, actually you misinterpreted. because I just gave him the title of the card, what the card did. And then from there, he just drew sketches of all the cards and I would quit and he do them batches or three or four. So he'd sketch three at a time, send them to me. I'd give him feedback. Then he'd fully illustrate those three. Then he'd move on to the next batch of three or four, something like that. That was really helpful because in the sketch phase, there were one or two cards which titles could have been read in multiple ways, and and he read it in the wrong way, or I said it in the wrong way, and there's just a little bit of miscommunication, and fitching, fitching, fixing it in the sketch phase is so easy compared to fixing it once it's all fully illustrated and colored and, and, and all that stuff. I think only one card had to be changed after he fully colored it because I didn't I didn't catch Uh, the, the whatever he drew, I can't remember what it was right now, but I think only one card sort of had to be fixed after he fully colored it in. All the rest were fixed with um, just in the sketch phase. So just as, as an example, I have one card in Fry Thief called Fork, and the whole idea of the card is you're supposed to like reach across the table farther with your fork and steal more fries. It was a very silly thing. And I think he drew like a very simple fork. And I'm like, no, 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 I want it. We, we went back and forth. And I said, no, no, make it like Inspector Gadget, like make it like an extendo fork. Like it should be silly. It should be like literally reaching across the table. And there should be maybe even like four, four or five fries stuck to the end of the fork. And people should look surprised that the fork like extended. So that type of stuff you can catch really, really easily in the sketch phase. Uh, and that'll, that'll obviously make your, um, your illustrations and your end product much, much, much better. And by the way, we'll make your illustrator much happier with you because you're not wasting their time. Yeah, that sounds awesome. You you, you gave an example, so like mm -hmm. Inspector Gadget, and you also described the emotions that you want to um, on the card, that the people should look mm -hmm. surprised. I think this is, a, this is an awesome description of what you want to... Um, want to uh, achieve with that card and I'm really looking forward to uh, to look at exactly this card after we recorded the show because <laughs> I want to well, really want to know how it um, how it turned out now <laughs> so but um as um, as many of the listeners will have their problems as I have to distinguish between uh, graphic design and illustration um, and artwork can you maybe um, define a little bit what the difference is between mm -hmm. between those Right. So there are, let me just start, there are some magical people, I'm going to call them unicorns, who can do both graphic design and illustration. 
but not many people actually have both skill sets. So graphic design is all about visual hierarchy, and that's a fancy design term, but it means what is most important on a card. So maybe the title is really important, so you make that big, or maybe icons are really important, so you make them big and colorful, or and you're and it's layout, it's hierarchy, it's 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 different styles of fonts to let you know things are related or things are not related. So I'll recommend one book. It's called The Non-Designer's Design Book by Robin Williams, which is the name of the comedian, but it's not actually that Robin Williams. So just someone who has the exact same name. And it is one of the best books I ever read because it, it just explains all of, you know, an art. It's, it's all of an, like an art degree in a little book. It's obviously not everything, but it's everything you need to talk to a graphic designer. So it's just visual hierarchy, colors, how close things are and what that means and why this should be more important than that. And, 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 and then clearing up common misconceptions. That's graphic design. Illustration is just, is, is drawing pretty pictures. So that would be, that would be the pretty picture in a magic, the gathering card. That would be the, that would be the, 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 that would be the Shivan dragon in the middle of the card would be the illustration. It is from Melissa Benson, by the way. Oh, I, I still remember who draw that card. That's great. It's it's one of my favorites. Yeah, it is definitely. Um, And she's my favorite, um, well, artist from from Magic the Gathering. Yeah. So so someone like Melissa Benson, uh, I don't I don't know her. Maybe she is one of those unicorns. She probably is really good at illustration and can draw all the pretty the the pretty uh, creative work, let's say. Uh, but she might not be able to like lay out the card and know where the 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 magic symbol should go in the top right or the title should go here, what the tap symbol should look like, stuff like that. So there are two distinct jobs, but you might find the occasional person who can do both. You, yeah, that but that would be probably the unicorn you were talking about. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can't imagine that. So that means, as a game designer who has absolutely no clue about that, who cannot uh, draw um, the, the the pictures for 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 the game or cannot do the um, the graphic design as well, um, you probably have to work with with a lot of different people. Um, To, to get all of this artwork and illustration done for your for your game, um, and the question really is, where do you find that people? So um, typically, you do not have all of that skill set um, yourself, and probably don't have it in um, in your close uh, friendship area. So where mm -hmm. where can you find those people that are also affordable because um i talked to uh to one or two magic the gathering mm. illustrators on on one of their conventions um and i could barely afford them um to 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 sign one of the cards um they tr they drew so i can i'm pretty sure i cannot afford their um their work to draw um um to paint or draw for for, for my game so where do you find um affordable but yet good artists for your game so let me start with it's never too early to start looking for an illustrator. I think you should always, if you are in game design, you should start right now. Just every time you see a good illustration, it could just be the box cover. It could be a card. It could be a cool thing you see on Twitter or Instagram. Write down their name uh, and then just have an Excel spreadsheet of all the illustrators that you've liked over the last six months, a year, two years, whatever, how long, however long you've been doing this because it's so much easier to keep keep in mind people whose whose work you've liked than to search and find them. But if you if you like let's say you want to start you want to find an illustrator tomorrow, the place I would recommend is ArtStation. Um it, it, there's a lot of really good illustrators there. Um there's I think there's even tags. I think you can even search for people who are open for commissions, but you don't even need to do that. Just look at who does really cool stuff, click on their profile and see if they're accepting commissions. If it doesn't say anything, feel free to reach out to them and say, "Hey, 
Uh, I'd love to, I'd love to hire you. How, how much would it cost to do this? Uh, and then I, I did a whole podcast episode uh, on my show about finding illustrator. I hired four people because I, here's the thing is at least for me, my game was about food and silliness and I couldn't find a single person who drew, who drew, who had illustrations of people being silly with food. Almost everyone has dragon pictures and zombie pictures and werewolf pictures. You can find a million people that do that, but I couldn't find anyone who drew exactly what I wanted them to draw. I saw that they had a similar style. And so I hired four people I paid them each to do one illustration, and then I, I actually hired the person who I basically met last, and it was uh, a total fluke. I met him at Matt Franklin. I met him at Gen Con, uh, twenty early 2017, middle of 2017, I think. Um, and I wasn't. I, I, I almost. I even in my head, I thought, you know what? I probably already have an illustrator. I probably don't need to get one more one more test sample. It's probably not worth it. But it was the best decision because he was he was relatively affordable and uh, and had the my favorite work. So it was it's one of those things where you don't know who's going to be best for you until you get a test illustration. But just start following illustrators and then try to save up enough money so you can get three or four test illustrations from different illustrators to make sure they can draw exactly what you want them to draw. So and at the end, you only. Um, hired the one illustrator and he did the entire um, the entire artwork for your game? Correct. So oh, I'm okay. lucky that in... So it, part of it is that Fry Thief is a... It's a 20-card game. Now, some of the cards are double-sided, so it's something like 32 illustrations plus, I think, the box cover. So that's, that's, that's possible for someone to do. And I did half of them before the Kickstarter and half afterwards. So after the Kickstarter was maybe he had to do 16 more illustrations or something like that. That's very doable, But of course, if you have hundreds of cards, then it might not be possible for one person to do all of them. Yeah, of course. So you said um, he was um, affordable and you did half of it um, before the Kickstarter and half of it afterwards. Mm -hmm. So what would be, let's say, a typical price range um, for, let's say, maybe some different things? Let's say a card template um, and, uh, and an artwork, for example. What would be uh, price ranges for those two things? Sure. So I did. Uh, so I only hired people for illustrations. So I can only speak to that. I did the, okay. all the card layout stuff myself. But for illustrations, I had ranges from a couple people offered to do it for free. They were sort of friends of friends and they had some of the sadly, they had some of the worst results. I still paid them because I, I thought that would be fa I thought that's that's fair. Uh, so but I of the people who wanted money, they requested money between $30 a card or an illustration for a card up to $100 a card. Now, I don't mind paying a little bit more for a one-off card, right? Like if, if, if someone, if there's an illustrator who's really, really good and they charge me $100 for a test card, that does seem like a lot of money. But let's say they say, hey, if you pay me for 50 cards over the next six months, I'll drop it down to $50 a card or $60 a card or something like that, then I would consider it. So if their one-off cost is a little high, that's fine as long as they're they're their cost per card comes down a little bit after you hire them for the whole project. So I had ranges from 30 to 100. That, that's what I had. I can't, from my, from my limited experience, that, that's what I saw. I don't, I can't say what the industry average is. Obviously, if you hire someone who's done a million board games and they're super well known, like, you know, one of the names that I see all the time is Beth Sobel. I have no idea. Maybe she does charge $100 a card, even when you pay her for, um, you know, 50 cards or 100 cards or whatever. Um, but she's also super popular in the board game world, and and she can justify that price tag because everyone wants her. So it, it kind of depends on on who you who you want to hire. 
Yeah, I also heard some numbers like uh, 200 per card, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but they looked really, really nice. They were these epic fantasy uh, yes. style drawings, though. I guess the price tag here was uh, was uh, um, also okay for that card. Yeah, let me obviously something like if you going back to Shiv and Dragon from Magic, that is a very very intricate um that is a very very intricate piece of piece of work. Uh, actually the way what I did with Fry Thief is I had my illustrator draw a couple backgrounds and he added those backgrounds to all the cards. So think of it like um Kind of like, you know, in like those old cartoons where there's like a long side scrolling background that goes on for a long time as someone's walking from the left or even like an old video game like Mario. Like as you're walking from left to right, there's like hills in the background and this and this and this. I just had um, two different backgrounds drawn with with lots of little things in them. And we just use different parts of the background for each card. So that way, not every single person had to have a totally unique background. I think it came out really well. Yeah, sounds um Sounds good, and um, I have even seen um, that Magic the Gathering reuses some kind of uh, artwork. Um, sometimes um, some some cards, the same piece of art is a little bit closer, mm -hmm. and then it's a bit far away. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think it's a good advice to try to reuse um, the assets that you have created. Um, and yes, um, if you have a lot of cards, I mean that is that is a lot of money, um, and people and especially designers often forget about that. They think, mm, I mean, cards are very cheap to produce so i can add a lot of them <laughs> to my game but at the end you need art um, or at least some illustration on them um, which makes them expensive um, mm -hmm. at least as an initial invest mm -hmm. um, and that's um, also why i think kickstarter is so successful especially in the board game industry because mm -hmm. you have a lot of indirect costs up front um, um, it's not that you can reach your break even with a few copies of your game um, if you invested a lot of um, a lot into the card art before. Um, that is why a lot of Kickstarter campaigns try to raise money to pay their artists, especially for paying the artists. Um, but I ask myself often, how much art do I really need to have? Um, how much art do I really have to um, have to be finished? when I start my Kickstarter campaign, though that people really trust me to do a good job in um, when it comes to um, to art direction um, for the rest of the game. So you said you had um, the half um, of the artwork before and mm -hmm. the other half afterwards. So would you say this is a typical spread um, or what would you say um, is uh, more typical in the industry? So I, I think this is changing. Uh, I think a couple of years ago, you could easily have half the artwork. I, I think of the, you know, those mega uber successful campaigns on Kickstarter, those are probably now like 75 to 95% complete when they launch on Kickstarter. They want to show you all the cards and you can see, or you can see hundreds of cards that are all fully done ahead of time. But again, that's like the super mega successful campaigns. If you're just doing, you know, a smaller, a smaller campaign, you don't expect to raise a, a half a million dollars. Then you can probably get away with, yeah, just having 20 cards done. Uh, with because with 20 cards, you can show five creatures, you can show five heroes, you can show five items, you can show five lands. What you know, whatever your whatever your cards are, I would make sure to show a spread of each of them. So let's say you are doing a game that has. Um, you know, murder suspects and cop cars and weapons and locations in the in the mansion and different this and different that. You probably want to have a full hand of each of those. Um, the thing the thing that you can't control though is if you are giving away prototype copies uh, to reviewers, 
they might play and show cards that are just sort of using placeholder artwork, and that's that's not great. So you kind of want to have as much done as possible, but not everything. So for for Fry Thief, I think I had about half of the artwork done, which which worked out pretty well. And most reviewers did show primarily the finished art cards, but sometimes they they weren't careful and they're like, look at here's 20 cards, and they kind of showed you even the cards that had very placeholder artwork, which didn't which didn't look great. So look, if you can afford it, try to get 75, 90, 95% of the cards done, if not half as good. And if you can't even do that because you have hundreds of cards and that's expensive, then try to get like at least five to seven of each type of card done. That's that's probably what I'd recommend. So on your Kickstarter page, it looks as good as possible. And there's one specific illustration or um, on, on your Kickstarter campaign that uh, impressed me, and that is um, for the stretch goals of um, <laughs> Fry Thief, um, where someone is um, holding a plate with a lot of uh, uh, fries on it, and it, uh, mm -hmm. it's getting more fries and more fries and more fries. Is this an artwork <laughs> that you made yourself, or did you um, hire someone to do that as well, or the entire maybe the um, art for your mm -hmm. entire Kickstarter campaign? So that was done. So that was done by Matt Franklin, but that was done for a regular card. I reused that illustration three times in the campaign. So number one, it was a card. The card is called Om Nom Nom. You can look <laughs> it up, uh, and, it, and it's a normal size, right? Like the fry, the the pile of fries is about as tall as her head. The I also used it in my Kickstarter stretch goals. So every time, you know, we unlocked a new stretch goal, it was sort of like another stack of fries on top of the the, the stretch goals, and I just I just that's something you can do in Photoshop, right? Like he, he, he made the initial pile of fries. I just basically copied and pasted and then smoothed the edges in Photoshop to make it go infinitely high. So that was me taking illustration and then Photoshopping it a little bit for stretch goals. And the last place I used it, um, that was an example of, that's actually my friend, Jordan. She inspired the game. We are out to eat. She said, don't mind me. I'm just a fry thief. I'm going to eat your fries. And I'm, and I was like, that's a great game. I drew her into the game. Um, but it was an example of the top pledge level. So there's a top pledge level of add your likeness. And, and that was the example. So I showed a picture of my friend, Jordan. I showed the sketch of Jordan and then I showed the finished card of Jordan just to show you, just to show backers that if you buy this level, which I think was, I can't remember, $200. If you buy the top level, which is very expensive, um, then you, it will look like you. So I showed a picture of Jordan, the sketch of her, and then finally the, the finished car, just to show them that I, that I, it can be done. So that illustration sort of was used three times in, in a way, um, which, which really helps with the budget. Yeah. If she came up with the idea or at least inspired it, I hope you're paying her a good share of it. <laughs> I, she's very happy. She, uh, I think I gave her a free copy, and uh, she, she uses that illustration everywhere. It's on Facebook. It's on her company's Slack. Uh, so she's she's very happy with it. <laughs> okay, so great. So um, I have also, when it comes to Kickstarter, I have heard um, that often designers try to um, do not pay artists immediately, um, mm. but pay them only if the Kickstarter, for example, is successful or pay them after the Kickstarter campaign. What do you think about that kind of tactique? Oof. Well, this is okay. This is going to be tricky because um, in the in the art in the illustration graphic design world, people always offer to pay you with exposure, right? Uh, it's sort of a stereotype. It's a trope. Hey, I can't pay you, but it'll be great exposure. Someone else will pay you down the line. And there have been huge brands over the years. There was a scandal a couple years ago at South by Southwest, a big tech conference, where they asked, you know, famous, you know, a big company who's making millions of dollars asked these artists to perform for free on their stage. 
Um, and it's amazing because this company is on like the stock exchange. Uh, they're, you know, they make a ton of money and they still ask mm-hmm. artists to still ask artists to do things for exposure. Um, so it's a very, very fine line. I here's what I I thought it'd be better to just own the art outright. Um, you know, I, I can't remember how much I paid for art. Let's say maybe six hundred dollars ahead of time uh, for all the artwork or for half the artwork in the campaign. And I said, you know, worst case scenario, I lose six hundred dollars. But I get to keep the artwork. I can do a second edition. I can use this artwork in a new game because I get uh, one of the things in my contract is as soon as I've paid them, I get a hundred. I get the copyright for however long I want to use it for whatever I want to use it for future projects, whatever. So I can always, let's say, let's say Frithy failed, I could always change it into a 200 card game or into a micro game or into a Minton game or to a what whatever. Um, so I, I sort of wasn't worried about paying for the artwork because I knew I'd be able to use it for a, a future project or, you know, maybe I'll just make a cool poster for my wall, what, whatever. If if you did want to pay artists some sort of um, some sort of, hey, once we're once we're successful, I'll pay you. I would probably do some sort of minimum. Um, let, so let's say you, you would expect to pay them. Hey, I could pay you six hundred dollars up front or I could pay you two hundred dollars now. And if our Kickstarter funds, you'll get 800. And if it super funds and we go to, you know, 200 percent of the funding goal, then you get paid um, 1600 or something. I would I would give them maybe even options so that they can opt into. Here's like I get a minimum of 200 dollars. So I'm, you know, I'm paid for some of my time and I can also choose the more risky option. That's probably what I do. Um, because I think, and, and there's, there's good things about that, right? Then they'll be more involved in the campaign. They might put a little bit more effort into it. Uh, they might, they might spread the word about the campaign cause they'll, they'll make a little bit more money. Um, but I, I think I would say, I think I'd give them an option. Hey, I, I can pay you 600 up front or a thousand dollars up front, or I can pay you, you know, 300 and then it could go up to 1300, uh, based on how well the campaign does something like that probably, probably would make them a little bit happier. Yeah, I think this this sounds fair. Um, you also touched the um, the topic of copyright. So, mm. what where did you get the contract from that you were using? Is this something that you used a template for, something that you wrote yourself with examples for example by examples, or um, is this something that the the um, the illustrator had offered you? So, how was the process of um, creating a, a contract between you and the illustrator? So I have a very, very loose contract. Um, it is literally just an email that says upon final payment, uh, Patrick Rowland receives full copyright of all the images. And that is my favorite. And now that's probably not great. If you're going to be a giant publisher like Magic the Gathering, you need to have actual ironclad contracts. Um, but I mean, for 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 me and my purposes, just an email that said upon final payment of invoice, blah, 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 Patrick receives full copyright and can use it for this. And we did. And what I like about that, by the way, let me just, the one thing I really like about that is let's say you have a, a first payment and a second payment. If you never pay the artist, the second half of the payment, if you, if you drop the ball or if you, or if you, or if you try to, if you purposefully don't pay them, the artist gets to keep the copyright, which I think is the most fair option. So until you pay the final, the final amount, the, all the copyright is is the artists, and they you only get it. Maybe you can start using it and editing it in social media, but you don't actually get to use it in your game until you pay them their final um, payment, which I think is is fair for the artists. It's fair for you. That way, if you 
if you say I'll give you 500 now 500 later and you never pay the second 500, at least the artist could try to resell the artwork or, or make their own t-shirts with it or, or whatever. Um, that, that's what I've done. And again, I have very simple contracts. I think in one, it was in an email and another, it was in the invoice itself An invoice 234 from the artist. It said, you know, upon final payments, the payee gets full copyright. Um, you, you do want to say that in your contract somewhere in an email, probably in the contract itself or in the invoice. Um, because it's assumed uh, by a lot of people that you get the copyright, but you don't actually get the copyright. So as, as a good example, going back to what you were talking about earlier, in the website world, technically the graphic designer owns the copyright for your website. So if you pay someone to design a website for you, um, that is actually their copyright and it needs to be in the contract. It needs to say the copyright goes to the the owner, the payer, or, or whoever um, upon final payment or, or whatever. Um, and then once you have full copyright, then you can do what, uh, whatever you want with it. Uh, my artist said he, he has the right to put it in his portfolio. That makes 100% sense to me. And, of course, we added that to the contract. Um, but, th- but that's about it. So just say, upon final payment, I get the copyright, and you can use it in your portfolio. That, something simple like that should work for, I think, most indie publishers. Okay, thank you. That is very helpful. We talked a lot about... Um illustration now and i know you you said that you did graphic design yourself Mm -hmm. at least most of it um, or everything um but for someone who has no clue how to really uh, create a card template for example what would be your advice for someone to start um would you start with uh, maybe finding a graphic designer that could um, do the template for you um, before you start working with an illustrator? Um, or would you would you advise them to buy some kind of um, a template somewhere mm-hmm. for, for a graphic, uh, for mm-hmm. a card template? Um, what would be your advice for someone who has uh, not the ability to, to do it on, on his own? Yeah, so if you can't do your own card template, um, then you, you do need to either hire, hire someone or buy an asset. So let me just start with buying assets. So there are several marketplaces that have designer or, or assets just for video games and or board games. So just an, just as an example, uh, gamedevmarket.net is one that I've looked through, and they have a ton of assets. Look through, they have sprites, they have backgrounds, they have card templates, they have... I don't think they have logos, but they have just have a ton of stuff. And by the way, I think they even have free stuff. So feel free to look through there. It probably won't be exactly what you're looking for, but it'll be good placeholder artwork. That's a good place to find that. Um, you can find card templates there, but before you before you get a card template, which and even if you do get a card template, so let's say you do get a card template, you could give that to a graphic designer and say, please, assume, assuming you get the source files. So by the source files, I mean the PSD file, which is for Photoshop, or the Illustrator file, uh, which is .ai for Illustrator, or the InDesign file, that's .indd or something. Um, or uh, Assuming you get the source files, make sure when you're buying assets you get the source files, then you can give it to a graphic designer, and with probably like an hour or two of work, they can customize that one card template, and then you can add all the text yourself, you can add all the images yourself, you can do a, you can do a whole bunch of stuff yourself with that template. Um, so they might have to increase this or increase that, but you should be able to move things around on your own. There are lots of programs, um, even very simple ones, like just if, so some of the most, most simple stuff you could do in Canva, C-A-N-V-A, I think it's .com, you can, you can import a card template that someone's customized for you and then add your title, add some symbols, add the text to the card, 
and crop this and crop that um, just to make it all fit. So that would probably be the absolute easiest thing you could do. You'd st- you still might need someone just to customize the card template a little bit. If you're lucky, let's say you, you know, if you're lucky, a card template could just work for you right out of the box, but maybe you have really long text or you have really short text and the card template you have is a really giant text box that looks kind of awkward and you'd like to use a little bit more room for art. Then you need to pay someone for an hour or two of work just to customize that, um, that template. There are lots of nice, friendly people in the board game world. If you meet someone who's good at graphic design, especially if in your local playtest group, there's probably someone who can open a Photoshop file, InDesign file, Illustrator file, whatever, and customize something for you. You know, if it's an hour, if it's an hour of work, say, hey, I'll blind test your game if you can help me with this this thing. So you can probably get it for free if you network and and, and get to know the right people. Or you and you can use these pre-created um, card templates that you can see on places like GameDevMarket.net. Uh, there was a humble bundle a couple months ago that was great. They gave away some really nice card templates from sites like. Uh, game dev market. So just keep your eye out. You, you'll be able to find some some free or cheap assets. I, I will say the assets on on these asset stores are incredibly affordable. A lot of them are like ten dollars. So for ten dollars, you can get this type of card or that type of card. And let's say you know, I think on you know game dev market, you can maybe find um, a fire card template and a swamp card template. But then you need a, a a heaven template. You can reach out to the original person who made those templates and say, hey. I'd be willing to pay you $100 to make this template. Can you do that? And they might say yes, they might say no, but you might as well start there. It's a, it's a, it's a great place to start. So that that's kind of what I'd recommend. Yeah, I actually bought that Humble Bundle, and I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who bought it because it's quite um, mm-hmm. good. There's a lot of stuff in it. It was very affordable, and mm-hmm. um, you can use it for um, if you just want to, um, to to create some cards with placeholder uh, graphics. Um, so it's very easy to create Um cards there but because you do because i think i don't think you if you just buy the humble bun i don't think you get the um the right to to print a million copies with that do you um i think i saw i saw a discussion about that on some forums and it said on the humble i have it somewhere written down the the license that you technically get with that humble bundle i think you do get it for for use in, in printed games i'm pretty sure i i haven't used it myself so i haven't reviewed it but i did copy down the license somewhere so Feel free to, yeah, definitely look at the license on these sites. Most of them are, are pretty straightforward. You won't have to think about it, but um, but but just double check. Uh, can I go back and add add one more um, resource? Of course. So one of my favorite illustrators, uh, her name is uh, Alicia Volkman. Uh, she does uh, artwork, and she now she does support for the Game Crafter, but she does some really pretty artwork. She has a Patreon where I think you I pay her $10 a month, and all the patrons vote on what she she should draw that month. Uh, and then she just draws it and she gives you the the PNG files, like the finished files and the source files. So every month I get like, I don't know, like potions or or like resources like wood and lumber. And then a couple months it's going to be like landscapes and then hellscapes. And, and one of the months was card templates. So if you find the right artist, you might be able to find some sort of like Patreon for them where every month you support them and you get the um, the source files to use in your own games. So there might be some stuff like that. I'm. I've never even used her art in a game, but for $10 a month, it's silly for me not to support her and to vote on resources I might use in a future game and get the source files. And then if I ever do have a a game about magical potions, guess what? I already have 10 magical potion drawings in my my art collection that I can use without – and then I don't have to pay someone $50 a card. I paid them $10 a month, you know? Yeah, of course. 
Um, if you have a link uh, to that, you can yep. you can share it with me afterwards, and mm -hmm. I will add it to the show notes, of course. Um, so what I found interesting when I um, looked through the different games that um, that you did the art direction for, um, they looked very different for me. So mm. to what point would you say is um, the the design and art of these of these games um, your work, and how much is the work of the D, um, of the illustrator then? So. Um, Because it, um, for me, they, they, they seem to be very different. And, um, I think if I would design, um, or create the artwork for, for, uh, for several different games, they would somehow look at least similar to some point of view. So, um, the question is, um, for, is it difficult for you to, to let the illustrator go with, with, with their own ideas? If that makes sense? Sh Sure. So I will say I don't uh, because I create an art brief, a creative brief before I even hire an illustrator um, there. The the feel of the game should be mine or that, that that or that's at least my intention is that it should be mine. Now, all my games do look very different, but that's because I designed them for different audiences. So Fry Thief was supposed to be for people who don't even like games. It's very silly, very funny, and you're kind of just supposed to laugh at the name and then buy the game. It's sort of like an impulse purchase type thing. Uh, my game Sawe, which is which is it's like old Irish words, so it's spelled S A M H A I N. Um, my game Sawe was actually inspired by my friend uh, Annie's work. Uh, I met her in Austin, Texas a few years ago. I've been following her on uh, Twitter, and she also has a Patreon. And you know what was great is I just reached out to her and said, Hey, Annie, could I use this your artwork in a contest? If I ever decide to publish this game, we could figure out uh, some way for me to, to, to pay you to publish this game and, and, and make it a mass market game. And I just used her artwork in a contest based on me. At me, I knew her in real life. I've been following her. I've been giving her advice on how to run a successful Patreon. And then when I asked her for a favor, which is, hey, can I please use your artwork in a game design tournament, a game design contest? She said, yes, you can. And that was kind of what started the whole, that game. I was actually inspired by her artwork, and that's what created the, the game around her artwork, um, which, which is pretty cool. Um, and I... I think you can kind of take inspiration from that, right? Like um, I think Jamie Stegmeier has talked about he was inspired by buildings, uh, by some like cute, adorable sculptures that inspired his latest game, Tapestry. Or he was inspired by artwork, and that's what sort of started Scythe. So you can take inspiration from different places and then make very different feeling games. Uh, there is a whole – we can have a whole separate talk about branding because I, I just was at a convention. I was at PAX Unplugged, and I don't think you'd want to have – drastically different games in one booth and on one website, but that's a whole separate thing because you can always sell different typed game, different themed games, different feeling games to different publishers. Um, that's a whole separate topic, but in terms of just creating the game and the artwork, you can totally, you can totally create games for different audiences. And people, by the way, people who would buy Fry Thief might not buy Mintsugi and might not buy Sawe, and that's, and that's fine um, because they're super different games. I had different intentions with every single game. Um, so that does that answer the question at all? Yes, it does. And I'm okay. and I'm very sorry for buttering the name of uh, some way. No, I didn't even know how to. I didn't even know how to say it until I looked it up when I was for the contest. So don't don't worry. Okay. So um, I think that answered um, a lot of questions when with regards to um, illustration and graphic design. Is there anything that you would like to add to to that topic? 
I think I just want to say, just have something that sticks out. Um, you know, when you when you finally your game is going to be on the floor at PAX Unplugged, at Gen Con, at Origins, you have to have a thing that makes people want to walk up to your booth, and it has to match the feeling of your game, right? So you can't have like a super adorable theme which is all about stabbing each other in the back, right? You want to have some sort of the people who you draw to your booth with your artwork need to be the people that like that type of game. So just you got to match the experience with the type of artwork and you got to you got to have something that stands out, right? There's a lot of games about dragons and wizards. So if you are doing a dragon wizard game, you got to do something slightly different. That's just I, I think that's I think that's really important. Yeah, awesome. And um, maybe a question that is not directly related to the topic, mm -hmm. um, but that you're an expert in because you've interviewed so many um, indie board game designers on your podcast um, and a lot of them use um, the game crafter i would imagine mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so maybe can you tell a little bit what you why you think the game crafter is um a good tool if you think so i'm a huge fan of the game crafter overall um i think it is a very good tool there's pros and cons to it so let me just start with you need to get a million you've probably heard like minimum viable prototype or ugly prototype like you have to do probably at least for me six to twelf versions of your game with just like hand drawing them, printing them out on cards at home and just really ugly because there is that, at least for me, I found it totally true where as soon as I made a pretty prototype, then I didn't want to change anything about my game. So you want to make lots and lots of changes to your games uh, ahead of time. But at some point you do want to upload it to the game crafter, print yourself a copy and it is the most incredible feeling to hold your own game in your hand um, it's magical. It's, it really, really feels great to, to hold your own game in your hand. So I would strongly recommend the game crafter for that type of experience. It also prepares you for things like it helps you learn terms like what is the bleed on a card and what is the, what is a PNG file? And, and it just sort of helps educate you on some very basic graphic design and, and printing things that you need to know about, uh, in, in the, in the game design world. And also, by the way, it gives you good ideas of how much things cost, You know, if you're trying to pitch, I was, uh, boy, there's a game designer I saw a couple weeks ago at this speed pitching event, and he was trying to pitch a game that had like, I don't know, like 200 custom dice or something. <laughs> and the publisher was trying, wasn't trying to be mean, but was just like, do you have any idea how much this costs? And he's like, well, it's only seven molds. And he's like, yeah, but you're trying to sell for $10 and the economic, the economics and this and this and this. But if you try to make that game on the Game Crafter, your prototype's probably going to cost you $200 to make, and you're going to go, wow, how can I make this same sort of feeling game? Like, it forces you to put the publisher lens on your own prototype. You go, wow, my prototype is super, super, super expensive. How do I get it? How do I reduce the price of the prototype so that it makes makes sense not just for me, but eventually for a for a publisher as well? Because they'll have similar costs. Well, not similar, but they'll the same type of cost that you see, they'll see just on a different scale. Um, so I'm a huge fan of the game crafter. I think it's really important to print out copies of your game, but just make sure to make, you know, make uh, at least 12 versions of your game or something like that before uh, you actually make a copy from the game crafter. So for my latest example, Mitsugi, which is in uh, the game crafter mint tin contest and is a finalist. I hope, I hope in a couple of weeks I'll find out that it does really well. But um, I think I did two months of prototyping uh, like every week. Um, just testing this, reprinting it out, testing this, printing out new copies, testing this, scratching out these things and replacing the values there, testing this, printing them out. And I think I did two months of that. And then I finally 
about a month before the contest, ordered a copy, and it arrived like two weeks before the contest. And I then I saw the final copy and I said, okay, here are changes I need to make, like sort of last minute changes. And then I finally submitted it to the contest and that, that timing worked out pretty well. So that's that's what I'd recommend for people. It is very, very powerful. If you're ever getting in a lull with your game design, man, print yourself out a copy and you will keep going. It is great. That's awesome. Thank you for the advice. <laughs> So I would say we covered a lot of lot of questions today. Thank you so much about it. Is there any project that you're working on at the moment that you would like to highlight here on the show? Maybe Mintsubi. I don't know. Maybe maybe your podcast. Um, what is your your baby at the moment? Well, how about this? I'll tell you something I'm thinking about. Um, so I recently started selling Fry Thief in person because I just delivered to all the backers. So I recently started selling it in person at PAX Unplugged for the very first time. And I'm starting to think about how do I brand myself in an, at an event? And I don't know how I would ever sell all my games under the same banner. So now I need to start thinking about maybe I should only make mint tin games or maybe I should only make fantasy games or maybe I should only make games about food. Um, but I didn't really think about that until now that my first game has come out. Now I'm thinking about how do I draw people to my table and get them to actually to, to buy things and stuff like that. Um, so that's just something that's on my mind um, a lot. And I'm also thinking a little bit more about puzzles. I'm a big fan of escape rooms. And so I'm trying to think of I'm just trying to come up with some puzzle themes uh, that I can uh, or some puzzle pu puzzle games that I can release Uh, in the board game world and, and see if those work. I don't know, but it's just sort of something I'm thinking about. And um, yeah, listen to my podcast. I chat to indie game designers. I try to ch chat to people who have just funded a Kickstarter or just about to go on Kickstarter for the first time. And it is really revealing how different people get to the same place. It, it's really exciting. So that's just kind of what I'm working on. Yeah, that's awesome. So everyone who's listening, please go to the Indie Board Game Designers Podcast. The show will be in, uh, the link will be in the show notes um, and listen to the podcast. It's awesome what you can learn from all these designers there. Okay, then um, thanks again, Patrick, uh, for coming to the show today. Um, it was a blast to have you on the show and I hope we can repeat this in the future. Fantastic, but I'm going to add one more thing in here. Of course. When are you going to come on my show? So, um, I probably... Are you too cool? I, I probably will never come to your show because my Kickstarter campaign will be so successful um, that I'm not an indie board game designer anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, you know what? If you have an ultra mega successful campaign where you make two million bucks, I will still have you on my show. Okay, perfect. So I guess then this will be... Um, so if it must be up on Kickstarter, it will be between spring and summer next year. Perfect. We'll, we'll chat then. Yeah? Okay, perfect. I would love to come to your show. <laughs> Goodbye, Patrick. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed the show or have any advice on how I could improve um, or any specific topics that you want me to talk about, please reach out. I love to hear from you. I love to answer um, each and every email um, or message in, on our Discord channel. So you can find all the links to get in contact in the show notes or you can go to my website at nerdlikeaboss.com or find me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram with the hashtag nerdlikeaboss. So until next week, nerd like a boss. Nerd like a boss.